Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you are well. I'm not sure what's going on in the state you live in, but we are in the midst of a cicada, uh, cicada, I don't even know what to call it. It's cicada Lollapalooza. It is, there's cicadas everywhere. So we're in Cincinnati. We're in, like, it's in full effect right now. And I'm hoping it stops very soon. So in the past, I have devoted episodes to talk to people who work in the donation field and specifically work here at Life Center. So in keeping with that, uh, we have a great guest with us today who is a longtime staff member here at Life Center, and I'm really looking forward to talking with him. I think it's important for listeners to meet members of our team uh, to get a better picture of how donation actually happens and all of the moving parts that are involved in facilitating the gift of life. I also want to remind you that June is Pride Month as well as Men's Health Month, and both are great reasons to get the facts about organized tissue donation. The LBGTQIA community can register to donate their organs, and we'll talk more about that a little later. And men who typically don't register to be donors at the same rate as women can use this opportunity with it being Men's Health Month just to get informed and to ask questions about what does it mean to register to be a donor? How can you help people as a registered donor? So I encourage people to visit lifepassiton.org and just get the facts and empower yourself so that you can help other people. Because the reality is that people are dying because of lack of information. People of all races, of all faiths, and of all socioeconomic levels. And it could be you or someone you love uh, who's in need of being saved or healed and a transplant is the only option. So again, please visit lifepassiton.org and be encouraged and empowered to save lives through organ eye and tissue donation. So with that, I am pleased to welcome my friend and colleague, Bobby Strickton. Hi, Bobby. Hello. I'm so glad that you could be here with us today. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, how long have you been with Life Center? Oh my goodness. So since 05. Okay, 2005. Yep, since May of 2005, actually. Okay. Yeah. So about, I think it's 15 years. Yep. Going on 16. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And during that time, what, what roles have you held? here in the organization? Wow. So that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) What roles have you not held? There you go. (laughs) Um, So I first came to Life Center as a perfusionist. Um, And what is that for our listeners? So for the listeners, it is um, an individual that can uh, 
be more available in the ORs uh, and making donation happen from that aspect of organizing the ORs, the teams uh, for recoveries. And when I say ORs, I mean operating rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, We do at that time and still today, they do fly out to all over actually and recover organs and bring them back to Cincinnati. And then they also handle the imported organs that actually just get put on a plane and actually come to us here in Cincinnati. And then we would just pick them up at Lunkin or CBG or wherever. So kind of like a transportation type person, but also there's logistics that you have to handle. And there's also obviously paperwork and all kinds of fun stuff. So that's, I mean, and, and that's a great example of why I love having members of our team on this podcast, because there is so much that has to happen in yep. order for an organ to be recovered from that's right. a patient and then handled and and transported to get to the other patient who is a match for that organ. And, and it has to happen in such a like quick yeah. period of time. Yep, absolutely. So, so, and then of course, obviously, um, there's all the other office stuff that comes along with that position. Right. Um, so, from there, I did take a short period of time off from that position, went into the communication center, which now is our donation support services. And, and what does our donation support services or DSS do? Sure. Those are the folks in our organization. There's about 15, 16 of those uh, individuals. Um, I actually call them um, all of my wives. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually, so they they manage and deal with all of the referral Aspects coming in from hospice, coming in from the individual hospitals that we have in our tri-state, and then also our onboarding now, uh, our fire and EMS departments are going to start making referrals more so, more often. And corner, obviously, they make um, referrals to us. And when I say referrals, it's basically reporting the death to us, right. indicating that someone has died or passed away. Because by law, all of the hospitals are required to report all deaths That's to right. Life Center and the other organ procurement organizations throughout the country. That's right. Yep. So, and, um, and of course, then at that point, once the referral comes in, they determine suitability. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they obtain authorization from the next of kin and complete the medical social questionnaire or, and then once that's completed, then they pass it on to the next person. Got it. So um, they're very important, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they help the families through the grieving process. And they do such an incredible job in there. And I wanted to be a part of that team. I didn't want to leave Life Center when I went to that short period um, back to school to be a paramedic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, once that was completed or finished, then I returned back to the perfusion status for uh, a period of time. And then I had my first baby. I'm still dealing with that baby weight. Um, (laughs) Me um, too. And I had mine um, 18 years ago. (laughs) Uh, So that's the running joke in our house. Anyway, I still carry the baby weight from my first child. Um, So we had Caroline, my first child, and realized that, yeah, I wanted to be home and try to stay home uh, so I did that for about a whole two months. I know it was great. And, and you, 
kept coming to the office. Yes. <laughs> I could not stay away. So I, I remember that. Yes. I was like, yeah, I can't be at this state and God love folks that can do that. I but I just am not that person. I, I'm not either. So little Caroline, uh, we found her an am- amazing nanny and I went back to work quickly. <laughs> so I came back to work and I worked in an additional, I don't know, I think it was maybe two months, three months. Mm-hmm. And then a position came open to be in charge of donation support services, which mm-hmm. I just just spoke about mm-hmm. and went in there and headed up that department and loved what I do, did at that time wow. as manager. Mm-hmm. And then um, shortly thereafter, about, I don't know, it was maybe two and a half years, three years, uh, they put the tissue recovery section of Life Center up under me as well. Okay. So I had two departments, about 35 people mm-hmm. um, managing, yeah. uh, three amazing supervisors mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at currently. And I love, I wouldn't change anything about any of it. So you've worked, what I find interesting about your story with your career here is that you have really worked on both aspects mm-hmm. of, of donation, being the organ side as that's a perfusionist, right. as yep. well as the tissue side. That's right. So the, I just, I think that's really interesting. Have, have like, I don't know what, what's been, what's been what has that experience been like for you? Amazing. I mean, I will tell you, I loved being able to travel and being able to fly out. Um, and it was quick. I mean, it was obviously jump off the plane, go to the recovery center or the hospital, jump back on the plane, come back to Cincinnati. Or in the middle of the night when everyone was sleeping in the tri-state, there was this guy, me, mm-hmm. that was traveling to Lunkin or to CVG, whatever. And knowing that I was helping save a person's life or change their life forever. Mm-hmm. And it was those, those things that obviously will push you through now, on the same aspect, you know, from the recovery side, I had to learn how to recover bones, ligaments, tendons, skin, uh, and also facilitate and be in charge of those rooms as they went on. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect too. Right. So, um, I think my favorite, if I had to pick a favorite now, mm-hmm. um, would absolutely be the logistical side of being in charge of organizing for it all to come together and mm-hmm. happen. Like I, th- I love that. That's great. Yeah. Cause that seems, it seems very stressful, but at the same time, like you said, it's also very rewarding. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. To know that what you're doing is going to help save someone's life. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, and it's, and that's like in its purest form. I mean, and then also the fact that you're, you're giving families, you know, who've suddenly lost someone important to them, giving them a little bit of peace, knowing that, that they were able to help someone else. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's, I, you know, I commend you for that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Cause I know it's, it's odd hours. It's, it is. I mean, you guys in those roles, you're they. You guys would be running for like twenty four hours yep. sometimes, and so that that's a lot. It's a it lot is. to manage. So prior to work, working at Life Center, mm-hmm. what did you know about organ eye and tissue donation? 
Prior to Life Center, so I knew that um, early on, right, Mm -hmm. to sign up as a registered donor. And Mm -hmm. I did that. Um, Obviously, when I first, I think I was 16, my gosh, many, many moons ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I knew that, you know, it was a great thing and you should do that. So I was always a registered eye and tissue donor um, beforehand. Was that something that growing up was talked about in your family or is it just something that you were like... Mm -mm. How did you know about it? Um, I actually wasn't, I didn't know anything about it other than um, I knew when I was sitting in the BMV and I educated myself there. Right. I mean, and then when she asked the question, I said, well, sure. Yes, absolutely. That's great. That's great. You also talked about the EMS a little while ago. Can you, can you tell our listeners about this program? Because you created this and I think it's such it's such a great idea and such a great um, way for us to continue our mission uh, with the help of, yeah. of, of, of EMS and, and paramedics. So sure. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I have been in the paramedic or EMS role field, fire and EMS for since, I mean, I was a cadet way out East and I absolutely love Felicity, Ohio. That's right, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So in Felicity, Ohio, this little rural country volunteer department, uh, I would get on my bike. And when I hear those volunteers going to the city, I would, or going to the um, firehouse, I would run, get on the bike, go up to the post office. And I would go, I knew if the squad, life squad turned left, I couldn't go any further because my parents said, don't go any further. (laughs) But if it turned right, I could chase it. So I did that as a kid forever. Really? Yes. yes. So I know small town. That you had yeah. to do to entertain yourself. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I did live in the in the in the small town, so there yeah. wasn't farms and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. So, but anyway, I was able to further my cadet because they had a cadet program. So I was able to be my freshman year of high school. It was my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year. Yeah. And so I was a part of the fire department the entire time and then just went right into uh, EMT basic class and my first firefighter class and finished the second and finished the third and then become a paramedic and so on. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the program that we started about, it's been roughly two, maybe three years ago. Okay. Um, And everybody's kind of coming on board at this point Mm -hmm. uh, with fire and EMS and in sending the referrals. Basically, there was a large amount that is pronounced or um, uh, or dead on arrival. Right. People who Uh, the EMS will go to the scene of an accident. Correct. And the person has already passed away. That's right. right. Yep. And at that point in time, you know, those folks that don't get treated and taken to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, those folks didn't have an opportunity to be able to enhance or change or save someone's life. Right. And so, and I questioned like, why is that? Mm-hmm. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not fair to the recipient that waits. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to the person that wants to also help. Right. So we worked alongside with um, starting out just one department. Mm-hmm. And then it was three departments. And now uh, it's four departments. And I will tell you, it is such a great thing that uh, these people have the opportunity and the recipients, obviously, you know, because anyone that has had a family member having to wait on whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that time frame is long. Mm-hmm. And the more opportunity we have um, to be able to provide that gift, yes. the better off it is. So 
Right. So the program is slowly but surely yep. growing. That's right. And is Cincinnati Fire Department a yes, part of Yes, so this? Cincinnati Fire have um, just signed on to helping us out with this program. And it's one last stitch effort, so to speak, mm-hmm. that they're able to help their own community. Yes. Um, and we think it's phenomenal. We did meet with them. Uh, they're all on board. They think it's great um, awesome. as well. So, and these are, again, the scene deaths that um, are not able to be treated and taken to the hospital. Right. And usually, you know, the coroner's office is involved or the funeral home is involved because they'll pick up from the scene. And we have great relationships with all of those folks. Mm -hmm. And it's all just, again, it's like the logistic piece I spoke Mm -hmm. about earlier. It's all of that, putting it together Mm -hmm. and doing our fair share to make sure that we can have or allow everyone to have that opportunity. And I think it's important just to mention that um, these patients specifically that you're speaking of, they could be tissue and cornea donors, but not organ donors. That's correct. Because they have died at the scene. That's correct. Whereas in order to be an organ donor, you have to be in the hospital on a ventilator. That's right. And so I just wanted to make that distinction for our listeners. Yes. So what do you find most challenging about your role here at Life Center? My role here at Life Center, most challenging Oh, that's a good question. Should have been more prepared for that one. Um, (laughs) So I think the most challenging part is ensuring that my team is emotionally and physically well. Mm. Uh, So Especially, especially right now, I'm sure coming off of the COVID, it's been, it's probably been tough. That's correct. And it has, and we have been really busy Mm -hmm. Um, and it, one can say, you know, it's just coming in and speaking to families. Well, it's not just that. So I mean, much more. there's so much more. Um, a, the person can't see the emotion that we all either body language. Mm-hmm. So there is there is things that obviously takes place to get the message across, whether you're heartfelt um, or you're crying or they're crying or whatever. And it is it tears at your heartstrings. Mm -hmm. Um, So mentally, it's trying to make sure, and that is the biggest struggle because some people hide it so Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. Um, or even recovering for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, Even recovering on the little guys that, you know, parents make that heroic decision to help another child of the same age or even younger. Our pediatric donors. Yeah, our pediatric donors. It's very hard. It is. And, um, you know, they... They have to be able to do the recovery and then also cope with knowing that there is a family that is missing their loved one now mm-hmm. because they're no longer with them. And um, that's hard for some of them. Mm-hmm. So I think the hardest thing for me is, is to make sure that everything's going logistics and all those different things is going well, but also I'm taking that time to make sure that the staff is um, up to par and if they need to talk, they can talk. Yeah. So. I've always, just because we've worked together, I mean, since, I mean, we've both been here about the same amount of time, but with you, I just find you to be, you are a compassionate leader. Oh, you really are like, that's your leadership style from, from what I observe. I mean, you, and, but, but you're not a pushover, but you, but you are compassionate and you truly care for every single person on your team and they know that you care, like your actions and your words align. And again, that's something else I admire about you because not everyone is built that way, but I just, 
Like you, you come in every day and you just, you give your everything to this place and, and we all know it. So we appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I do, I love, I love everything about Life Center, not just because of where I'm at today, Mm -hmm. but I mean, just the people I work with, the teams that I have, the overall mission and vision. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the big thing. And, you know, coming from a fire and EMS background, I've always wanted to help people and I've always wanted to be in that, you know, the medical field and I get to do that and plus help the community in different ways. So, right. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome just to see just how you've grown and evolved during your time here. Just you've worked in practically every department (laughs) except maybe community relations, but But I've helped, but you help a lot. That's right. (laughs) But it's cool just to see this evolution of Bobby and just, you know, the, you becoming this, this leader and, and just how you lead. So, so I want to change gears. Sure. And again, June is pride month. And so I thought it was really important and a good idea to talk about Oregon eye and tissue donation as it pertains to the LBGTQIA community. And that was the other reason why I wanted um, to sit down and talk with you because you are a gay man. You have two beautiful children who keep you hopping. Oh my gosh. And a wonderful husband. Yes. But as a gay man who's worked in this field for so many years, what what is that the restrictions and that sort of thing around donation, what, what does that mean to you? Let's talk about your feelings around that and thoughts. As a gay man, I knew, and I know from working here that you are absolutely be, you're able to be an organ donor. Um, but for tissue uh, and for eye, you are not able to do that. You're not able to give because of the lifestyle. And um, whether people believe it or not, not every gay man, right, um, has a lifestyle that is sleeping around and doing all those things. Mm-hmm. But there are folks that still do that and the disease processes are still out there. And that is the big thing is, is that the utmost safety of tissue is sent on for transplantation. Right. Um, all the testing and all that kind of stuff, it takes place no right. matter what. Right. Um, but uh, in order, because of the lifestyle, again, that is allegedly put out there, the tissue banking industry decided that um, that can't happen. They can't donate. We can't donate. So the, so is it, I'm assuming it's the, American Association for Tissue Banks that ha- has set forth this standard? Um, is it the FDA? Or- well, that's a good question, actually, and I yeah. should really know that answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I do think it's more of a regulated thing from yeah. a FDA-type yeah. standard. Right. It would not, and I think, you know, obviously things get adopted and brought right. down into play. So. Right. And so then the thought is that gay men can't be tissue donors because, or cornea donors, because there's a higher propensity for HIV and other communicable diseases. That's right. Okay. Yep. But if you are a woman and you're lesbian and, you know, that does not, this, you would not be... 
That's correct. You would not. You could be a tissue donor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's correct. Okay. But gay men can be organ donors. That's right. Which I find interesting. Yes. So it's it's mainly because they're considered high risk. Yes. So if if a gay man were to pass away and he was able to be an organ donor, and again, that's to be an organ donor across anyway is such a unique opportunity because you have to have suffered a non-survivable brain injury. But if that patient could be a donor um, and their organs were recovered, the um, transplant surgeon who would want the organ would be notified that, that these organs are considered high risk. That's correct. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Which again, you know, for a, gay man all of my life, right? right? I I know that if one person was on, I mean, I would hope that if someone was on their mm-hmm. dying door or deathbed, mm-hmm. um, they would would want my organ right. 110% to right. be able to live on. Right. So it's just interesting. And that's gotta, I mean, that that's that's gotta be a bit tough for you because again, as I said, you're so compassionate about this mission. You're so dedicated um, to what you do and you pour everything into, into this work. So that's, I mean, I, I don't know, but it, it, you seem all, you just keep going. You seem unbothered by, but I don't know if like deep so down it, you kind of have a struggle with that. No. So actually I don't. And what I, so my, my grandmother used to say something on the lines of, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm. Well, so I can't beat this because obviously this is a regulatory thing. It's higher than what I can, you know, mm-hmm. be for me to change. Right. But now I'm going to join a team that can give that gift no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have always been a part of something about giving back. And then when I found Life Center, I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. I can't give because, and I know some people may say, oh, that's just a pitch. No, no, actually it's not. That says, that has been the way I've thought about this whole entire process yeah. since working here. Yeah. Because it's true. I may not be able to help through tissue donation from bone and skin and ligaments and tendons and mm-hmm. you know fascia and all that. But I can definitely help others make sure that those gifts and are honored and passed on. Yeah. And that's such a great way to, to look at it and, yep. and to approach it. I So I would think with all of the testing that goes into donation, because there are, there, is. Um, there are just so many tests to make sure yep. everything is safe and, trans, and can be transplanted. You would think that, there would be some additional tests developed to be able to make sure if someone, you know, if, a, if it were a gay man, that they, that that testing could be done to make sure that everything transplanted from a tissue cornea perspective would be safely transmitted or not. That, I think that's what puzzles me more than anything. I think it's going to happen sooner than later. Okay. I really do. Good. I think the industry is, you know, going because again, the demand is still not being correct. Yeah. So the demand is there. We need more organs. We need more tissue. We need more corneas. Right. Um, and the wait list just keeps right. and keeps going up and up and up. So I venture to say they are going to find out. I mean, look what they've done with 
the COVID scenario and the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I mean, how fast they went and found right. that that vaccine. I think that you're going to see many things change over the next few years when it comes to tissue, eye, and cornea donation. Well, I think that's great because I think, again, to speak to your point, it then allows more people to help more yes, people. That's and right. that's what we absolutely need. Yep, absolutely. And then... In terms of organ donation, um, a few years ago, the HIV Organ Policy Equity Act was passed. Um, Mm -hmm. We call it the HOPE Act. And again, for our listeners, I just, because I think this is great information that should be shared and, and you may not know about it, but the HOPE Act actually allows for a patient who is a donor who is HIV positive mm-hmm. to be able to donate organs to a recipient or person waiting who is also HIV positive. Incredible. I know. I that I remember when this was being discussed and I believe it was passed maybe a couple of years ago, but the fact that this is happening and this again more people's lives are able to be saved in this yeah. way is Remarkable. Yeah, because back in the day, it was, I mean, when you received the news, it was almost like a death sentence. Yes. Right? Yes. And it was changed by the medical and science industry. Yes. And it was changed to the point where, okay, great. But then if I was to need this vital organ, it was... Not there. Right. But now, because of this act, now it is there. Mm -hmm. And now it is available for folks to be able to live on and make changes and great things and be those people in society that Mm -hmm. they were intending to be. Right. As I close today's show, I urge you to think about the fact that today there are 107,454 men, women, and children in need of life-saving organ transplants in our country today. What can you do to help? If you're not registered, seek out the information that is true and research what being a donor truly means. Speak with a medical professional about it or connect with someone who has gone through the donation experience as either a donor family member, a recipient, or living donor. We learn through the sharing and exchange of information based on facts and not fiction. You can also register to be an organized tissue donor at lifepassiton.org. And you can also learn about being a living kidney donor because the vast majority, almost 91,000 people who are on the national wait list for an organ are in need of a life-saving kidney transplant. I want to thank you for listening today. Please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. This episode is brought to you by LifeCenter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. 
Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.